commissioned. Even the music and the graphic are kind of intense, aren't they? We were listening to that before service, and some of the, the praise team was like, whoa, that's, that's pretty heavy music there. Man, this isn't going to be an intense series that we walked through. If you were with us last week, you know that we just began a brand new initiative here at River Rock Bible Church. We started Dave Ramsey FPU classes last week. You've only missed one week. If you're not in the class group, it's not too late to sign up. But we, we started that, and we're going to take a, a little break from preaching on money because not many people want to come and be preached to about money for nine weeks in a row. So we're going to take a little break on that. And for the next four weeks, we're actually going to look at the four great commissions that Jesus gives in the New Testament, in the Gospels, and in the book of Acts. And, and one of the things that I think about when I think about Jesus' life, uh, I, I think about a man who lived on mission. And that's actually been our theme since September. Everything that we've done has been around this idea that we are called to live on mission. And when I look at Jesus' life, I realize that the reality is that here's a man who devoted his whole life to living on mission, and he changed the world. He changed the world. Imagine what could happen if the followers of Jesus Christ lived on mission as much as he did. And we strive to live that same kind of life on mission for God to change the world. What kind of impact would that have in the community around us? And, and the crazy thing is, as I started thinking about this, I, I, I realized that to live on mission like that, to give your life to something like that, it's not a half-hearted commitment that you've got to be fully committed to this thing. And that's what Jesus is going to talk to his disciples about in this very first commission that we find in John chapter 20. But you know, when I think about commitment, I, I, I always think about World War II. I've always been a fan of history, and uh, probably ever since Band of Brothers, it's been like my favorite era. I've read Stephen Ambrose, D-Day, Citizen Soldier. Uh, I've read those books multiple times. I just love everything about World War II. Um, in fact, both my grandfathers were in the Navy in World War II, and one of them was actually on General MacArthur's personal staff in the South Pacific. So a lot of cool stories from my family. And one of the things that's always kind of blown my mind about uh, the war, especially with, with, in the South Pacific with Japan, has been the kamikaze pilots. I mean, you think about commitment, and you think about someone who's completely committed. These guys were completely committed. And I, I remembered an article that I read a couple of years ago um, about one of these kamikaze pilots. And, you know, once they, they get in, I mean, can you imagine just being in your uniform, strapped in, and I don't know why these guys are wearing helmets, but they have helmets on. It kind of seems counterintuitive to me, but kamikaze pilots wear helmets. But anyways, you think about what it takes for these guys to do that and the commitment that it takes. And, you know, you could imagine that every once in a while a mission might get called off and the guys would be called back to land. But there's an article about one man who's interviewed and, and he's coming back from a mission. And the journalist says, hey, so, so how many of these missions have you been on? You guys got called back? How many times has that happened? And he goes, well, I've been on 50 missions. 50 missions, the journalist just can't believe it. She's, you know, I can, I can understand you, you got called back once or there was a mechanical failure, the mission's called off, but, but 50 missions? And this is what he said. He said, I was incredibly involved. I just wasn't very committed. I was incredibly involved. I just wasn't 
very committed. I mean, think about that. You're involved but not committed. What's the difference? I think about bacon and eggs, one of my absolute favorite breakfasts. Uh, Mine would probably be egg whites and turkey bacon because I try to eat a little bit healthier. But when you think about bacon and eggs, one animal is involved and the other one is committed, right? That pig is fully committed to that meal. For the chicken, it's just kind of, and they're done. But the pig is committed. This guy flew 50 missions. Can you imagine putting on the uniform, saying, yes, sir, getting in that airplane, shutting the door, taking off with every intention? It looks like you're, you're going to be committed. But 50 times you come back and land. Unfortunately, there are many followers of Jesus Christ who are just like that man. We walk around, we talk the talk, we put on the clothes, and we're incredibly involved. But we're just not committed. And I think what Jesus desires from us is that we would be committed to his mission. If we're going to be on mission, if we're going to be a church that's on mission, that's going to try to accomplish our vision of reaching every man, woman, and child, it's going to take more than simply being involved. It's going to take every single one of us committed to reaching every man, woman, and child. You've heard, it, heard me say it before. It takes every man, woman, and child to reach every man, woman, and child. And I don't know about you, but, but even for me as the pastor, man, my biggest challenge is, is to daily commit myself to that mission, to live out that commitment. And Jesus talks about this. What I love about his very first commission is that he's going to remind his disciples, not just of his commitment, but that the way that he modeled it for us and that he calls us into this kind of commitment. Let's look at John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. It says, In the evening of the first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together and the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. Now, let's just stop there. Now, here's what's taking place. This is the same day that Jesus has risen from the dead. He was, he was killed on Friday, crucified on Friday, died, was buried Buried in the ground on Saturday and on Sunday morning, on the third day, he rises from the dead. Now by this time, it's evening. So Mary has already gone to the tomb and reported to the disciples, hey, uh, Jesus' body is gone and Peter and John take off and, and they get there and they see the empty tomb. So they know that something is up, but these guys are afraid. And so they're, they're out in this upper room and they're hiding away from the Jews. They're scared because they had seen that Jesus was arrested. He was beaten and crucified. And if they'll do it to Jesus, why wouldn't they do it to us? And they know that the, they've been seen over the past couple years with Jesus, doing ministry with Jesus. And so they're afraid, so they lock themselves up in the room. And they, I love Jesus' first words to them. Jesus' first words to them are this as he enters. He just appears. It says, Then Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace to you. Imagine all the stuff that's going through the minds of the disciples at this time. They're scared. They don't know what's going to happen next. They're in fear for their lives. And Jesus comes to them and says, Peace. Peace. Isn't that exactly what Jesus came to do? He came to bring us peace. As those who who were once enemies of God, he now brings us peace in our lives. That we can, we, we live these lives that have been marred by sin. We're enemies of God. We're separated from him. 
Yet Jesus comes to bring peace that we can be restored into relationship with our Creator. I love those very first words. But he goes on, verse 21. Verse 20, he says, look, look, see my hands, see my feet, look at my side, know that it's me, and the disciples are probably all freaking out, thinking, man, this is the coolest thing ever. I can't believe he did everything that he said he was going to do. He's risen from the dead. Oh, Jesus, you've come back now. This is awesome. Now we we can beat up all these guys that hurt you, and we can take over, and you can sit on the throne. And then Jesus kind of has to say, okay, now calm down. I know this is cool, but, but calm down a second. And this is what he says in verse 21. Jesus said to them again, peace, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I, I kind of expected more. I kind of expected more, Right? I mean, he's just risen from the dead, and and you expect him to sit down and say, hey, let's take out the whiteboard and let's start drawing up our plan. What are we going to do now to get make sure that everybody knows what's happened to Jesus? Guys, let's look at a map. Let's think about how we're going to do this thing. But that's not what Jesus does. He just says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And it, it just doesn't seem to be as much as we thought would happen. And I imagine the disciples are thinking, what? I mean, there's got to be more, right? But the more you look at it, the more you realize exactly how deep Jesus' words are. And he starts by talking about who's going to be involved in his, his mission. Who is it that he has called? Who is it that he's giving this commission to, to be involved in his mission? And the very first people that we see he talks about are me and you. Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Speaking to the disciples, but by extension, he's speaking to all believers in Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Now, he's coming to the disciples and he's saying, look, this is, this is not all there is. There is more than this. I didn't just come to, to live a sinless life, do a great ministry, Uh, and then die on the cross and rise from the dead, and that's the end of the story. No, I came to do more than that. There's still work that's left to be done, and I can't do it on my own. I need you to participate in this work, to be on mission with me, that we could go out and we could reach the world. I am sending you to do this work. I'm sending you to do this work. And he says, look, I'm not asking you to do anything that I wasn't willing to do myself. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. He reminds them that that Jesus has modeled the overall mission of God. He said, look, I I understand. I I came to this world that God created. And you you were a bunch of people who had, had blown it, you'd messed up, but I came And I preached to you, and I I saved you. I gave my life for you. And now, in the same way, I'm sending you to reach those who have have blown it and messed up. And you've got to realize, who is Jesus talking to at this point? Think about the disciples. These were his best friends, who just a few nights before had fled at his worst moment. When Jesus is being arrested, the disciples run away. Peter denies even knowing Jesus three times. And in Jesus' deepest hour of agony, as he's there there praying, 
asking God, if there's any other way, please let this cup pass from me. His best friends that he's asked to pray for him fall asleep. These aren't the best guys in the world that he's talking to right now. They're just as fallen and broken and messed up as any one of us. But Jesus says this, as the Father sent me, so I'm so I am sending you. He's reminding them that you were recipients of my love and my grace and my mercy. And so as recipients of that, I am sending you. Peter, you denied me, but I love you and I forgive you. Now go and tell. And I know there are some of you here this morning that are thinking there's no way that God could use me. I don't know enough. I mess up too much. You don't know how jacked up I am in my personal life. But here's what Jesus is saying. You, recipient of my grace, I am sending you to carry this message to the world around you. I love uh, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, Jesus says that, uh, Paul writes this about Jesus. He says, make your attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Jesus says, listen, you have received my grace and mercy. I know you're not perfect. There's no expectation that you will be perfect, but I want you to go. And I want you to tell others of the grace and mercy that you've experienced through me. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. The next thing we see is is the action. The action that's taking place, right? We have sent and sending. Sent and sending. Jesus was sent and now he's sending. Jesus modeled for us what sentness looks like. What it's like to live as one who has been sent. I think it was um, Spurgeon who said that Jesus stepped out of the robes of divinity and into the overalls of humanity, right? He left his divinity and he comes down and models sentness for us. He puts his overalls on and he gets his hands dirty. He comes and he models what it looks like for us to be sent. And this is completely different for what the disciples had experienced because You see, even though Jesus is telling them, I'm sending you, now you are going, now you are the one that I want to go, this is different than their experience because these guys were Israelites, they were Jewish. And for them, a long time ago, God had given them a special promise and a special place and he'd also given them a commission to go and to tell all the world about the one true God. But that's not what they did. Instead, they said, hey, we have the one true God. We have the temple. And so if you want to know about the one true God, if you want to know about the God of creation, the God that we worship, just come on down to Jerusalem and we'll tell you about him. Hey, as long as we eat the right things, we wear the right clothes, we worship on the right day, we live separated and differently than the rest of the world, eventually people will ask us, right? We don't ever do that as Christians, do we? None of us would ever do that. Think, well, if I just pray over my meal at work and, and, I, and, and I just bring my Bible and carry it around the school, and if I'm just a good enough person, I, I pay my HOA dues on time, I give my neighbor his hammer back after I borrow it, 
then eventually people will ask me about Jesus, right? Let me ask you, how's that working out for you? When's the last time you got asked to share the gospel? Doesn't happen very often, right? Jesus says, no, don't, don't sit there and wait. That's very passive. That's centrif- centripetal force, right? The inside, movement inside. That's the centripetal mission. That's moving inward, right? We can't sit here and think that, hey, if we could just fill up the parking lot of Village Elementary School every week and get out enough flags and put enough door hangers out that people are going to drive by or they're going to get something in their mail and think, man, what's going on at River Rock Bible Church? No, we have to go. Because we have been sent, not, not to tell about the church, but to tell about the goodness and the graciousness and the mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He calls us to centrifugal mission, the outward mission that we would go out. And I love, I love that he uses two different words here when he talks about being sent and sending. In the Greek, these are two different words. The first one that he says, when he says, as the Father sent me, he uses the word apostolo, right? And you can hear the word apostle in there. And he says, look, the Father sent me, so now I am sending you. And the best way that I can think of to describe this is to use my kids, right? I've got four kids. I've got the, the triplets who are four and a half now, almost five years old in March. And then we've got baby Evie. She's about a year and a half. Uh, and so, the interesting thing is, is I'll be downstairs maybe working with Evie, playing with Evie, or trying to get dinner ready, and I can't go upstairs and get the other two. And so I'll send one of them and say, hey, go get your brother and sister and tell them to come downstairs. It's time to eat dinner. And it, when they first started doing this, they would go up and they would tell them and nothing would happen. But now they've learned. They've learned. And so they go upstairs and they go to the playroom and they say, dad said to come downstairs. Now, how well do you think it goes when little Charlie walks in there, my daughter, and she tells the boys, come downstairs? You think that works out very well? But when she says, dad says, come downstairs, they know that she's speaking with authority, that she has been sent by dad to get them. And Jesus uses that word, apostello. He's saying, my dad said for me to come. My dad, my heavenly father has sent me to you. But then when he talks about sending out the disciples, he uses a different word. He uses the Greek word pempo, which, which gives this idea of I am going with you. That I am not only sending you out, but I am going with you. You are going to participate in this work with me. And I love that idea that Jesus doesn't just tell the disciples to go and say, hey, you guys go accomplish this. He says, no, I am going with you and we will do this together. And we have that exact same promise today. That when we go into our communities, when we go into our workplaces, that Jesus Christ goes with us. He is with us while we were there on mission. So he calls us to be sent. And I think most of us wonder, man, I, I want to do the stuff that Jesus did. I want to do the, the same things that, that Jesus did. I want to live like Jesus did, but, but how? I mean, I can't die on the cross for someone's sin. Like, I could die on a cross, but we just have literally a bloody mess. Like, no one's sin is going to be forgiven. So how do I do this the way that Jesus did it? And there's, there's a key here. He says, as the Father sent me, I also send you. Another way to translate that would be, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. 
as and so, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus is not asking us to do the same things that he did. He's asking us to do ministry and mission in the manner in which he did it. Jesus not only modeled the overall mission, but he also modeled the manner in which we are to be on mission. A couple of verses that that talk about this. One is Luke chapter 19. Verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Think about that for a second. What would it look like if your life mission was to seek and save the lost in the same manner that Jesus did? Not seek and save a promotion, not seek and save a better life for our kids, but our mission is to seek and save the lost. Another one, Matthew twenty twenty eight. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. What would it look like for you to give your life to someone else? I can tell you community groups are a great way to do that. Being a part of an FPU group, you may say, man, I am great with money, I'm, I'm perfect, I know exactly what to do, or I've been through Dave Ramsey before, but to give your life to someone else, to come alongside of them and say, let me walk through this with you. Or to just be a part of a community group and, and be there with someone that's facing a hard time and say, let me come clean your house. Let me make a meal for you. Let me sit with you while you cry. Let me cry with you. Give your life in service of someone else. Another one that I love is Luke 7.34. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. How awesome would it be for us to be known as a friend to those who don't know Jesus Christ. That we would stop looking at people and making judgments about their lifestyle or what they have, what they don't have, how they talk, how they don't talk, and that we would just be their friend. That we would just love them unconditionally the way that we see Jesus has modeled the mission to go to people and to love them unconditionally. That, he, that we would be called a friend of sinners the same way that Jesus was. Another one, John 10 Uh, 10.10, he says, I've come that you may have life and have it in abundance. What would it look like for you to build someone up, to encourage them that they could experience an abundant life? What does that look like? Matthew 9.36, it says, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion on them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. And if I'm honest, this is probably the most difficult one for me. Because it's very easy to look at someone else and say, man, why can't they just get their act together? Hey, you made a mistake. You got what you deserve. And it is so hard for me to, to, to have that compassion. But when I look at the way that Jesus lived his life, the manner in which he went about his mission, I know that as, as hard as that is for me, that, that I need to look at people the way that Jesus looks at them. So when there's a lady fumbling through her purse trying to find her money or her checkbook in the grocery store in front of me and she's got three screaming kids running around to stop for a second and say, man, what is wrong with this lady that she can't get it together? But to stop and say, man, she must be having a really tough day. I wonder if there's anything I could do to encourage her. God, would you just be with this mom? She's having a tough time. Whatever it is that we would have compassion for the people that God has sending us, has sent us to. 
Because the reality is that, that God has sent us all to different places. That we could see people the way that Jesus sees them. Jesus, the ultimate shepherd. And I know that many of you, this is something that you've heard before. You've heard about the Great Commissions. You've heard that you're called, that you're sent. The question is, are you involved in that mission or are you committed to that mission? That's the question. And something I want us to all think about this morning is, is where have you been sent? Where have you been sent? Think about that for a second. And and I'm just going to, in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to call out where are some places that you have been sent. So, where have you been sent? Just call it out. You don't have to raise your hand. Where has God sent you? To Georgetown. Good. Where else? Your neighborhood. Very good. Where else? Team mom. Yeah, sports, work. Where else? Anybody else? To your church. Yes. Yeah. We had one who hit it right on the head. The easiest place to start is our neighborhood. And if you were with us back in the fall in September, we, we launched with a series called The Art of Neighboring. And we looked at this idea that when Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is to love your neighbor as yourself, what if we took that literally and began loving our neighbors? And so we challenged each other. We have this... Um, this chart of shame or block map, right? It, hopefully it's not a chart of shame anymore, but we challenged ourselves to get to know the eight closest neighbors to us. And I just want to give us just a moment right now as we think about this, um, because there's some exciting stuff happening throughout the greater Austin area. Over 300 churches participated in the Art of Neighboring, neighboring back in the fall, and we're getting ready for a citywide public campaign with city officials behind it encouraging people to just be good neighbors, right? We just want to be good neighbors. Um, We're not good neighbors so that we're just good neighbors, right? There's no intention behind this uh, other than to just really change the way in which we see our neighborhoods and to love one another. Uh, And and in fact, in March, April timeframe, actually February, you're going to start seeing billboards go up. March, April timeframe, we're going to give you the opportunity to lead some discussion groups with your neighbors in your home. We're going to provide you the the videos, all the material you need, the questions to just facilitate a conversation of, hey, how can we be good neighbors, right? And so to start, what I want you to do right now is take just a few minutes and I want you to think through, can you name your eight closest neighbors, right? Hopefully, If you did this back in September, you've got a couple more that you can list now. Um, If you don't get them all, don't be embarrassed. Hey, this is just a challenge for us that, that, hey, we want to try to get to know our neighbors. So take a few minutes now and see if you can name your eight closest neighbors. You can work as a couple. Husbands, don't worry. You can cheat off your wives. I feel like we need some Jeopardy music right now.
Oh, we got one. Got all eight. Bingo? You got bingo? All right. Who's got bingo? Who's got all eight? You did it. You got all eight. Man, that is awesome to see so many. How many of you got more than you did in September? Oh, that's awesome. That's great. Man, and and how many of you have now looked at this and you're like, man, I I need to go home and get to know my neighbors. Like, like I, I could just walk across the street and get to know one person. Uh, man, this is really exciting for us, and here's what I want us to think through. You know, our, our vision with Art of Neighboring is, is not to try to convert people. Um, we believe that, that that will be a process that works out on its own. We really do just want to be good neighbors. But what would it look like? What would happen if you recognize that you have been sent into your neighborhood? And you lived as one who's been sent in your neighborhood, and you served your neighbors, you were friend to your neighbors, no matter what their lifestyle is, that you would befriend them, love them, serve them the way that Jesus did. How would that change? Some of us, uh, we can all easily say, hey, I'm sent to my neighborhood, but think about this, you're sent to your workplace, you're sent to your sports teams, kids, you're sent to your high school, your middle school, your elementary school, maybe you're even sent to the gym. God has someone there that he wants you to talk to. Every single one of us has been sent. The question is, will you be committed or will you simply stay involved? At this time, we do something called Take Two. And this is just an opportunity for you to think about what God is saying to you and how you're going to respond to that. And so if you look in your bulletin down at the bottom, you'll see that there's a spot that says take two, and there's a a little spot that says I will, um, or what God is saying to me, and and just take some minute now, some music's going to play, and I just want you to spend two minutes. What is it that God is saying to you? Has he put someone on your heart that maybe you're sent to, or a place that you want to begin praying for, saying, God, I know that I'm sent here, but I don't know what my next step is. Help Help me find out what that next step is from you. Whatever God is saying to you, just take two minutes, figure it out. Let's take two.